Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. This podcast is from the West Side Gathering. We are a church uh, in the city of Montreal, in the province of Quebec. Uh, thank you for listening in. We understand there are people that do listen to our podcast, uh, obviously those who are part of our church, uh, and then some from beyond our church. So thank you for taking some time to listen in. If you want more information about us, um, we'd encourage you to, to check out our website, westsidegathering.com, and you can find information about us there. You can also reach us there. You can find us on Facebook at Westside MTL. That'll be a place um, to find some news and information about us as well. Well, let me jump into today's message. And uh, we're doing it a little bit differently today. It's kind of a two-part recording because we had somewhat of a technical glitch uh, in our recording this last Sunday. So we're going to start off um, with this recording, and then it's going to be edited and transitioned into the rest of the message that was recorded last Sunday. Let me start off with a question. Tell me if this has ever happened to you. You have like a three or four o'clock appointment and um, you're either working or trying to get some stuff done as the appointment is getting close and the time is coming close. Three o'clock is getting close and, and you try and squeeze in every moment possible to get a little bit more done. If you're at home, maybe you're trying to get a load of washing or trying to prepare a meal um, or get something done there. If you're at the office or working, maybe you're trying to squeeze in one more email, one more phone call, one more task. And 2.30 comes around and 2.45 comes around. And you're thinking, well, I'm only 10 minutes away. I can make it. So 2.50 comes around and you think, I got it. I'm going to get in the car and get going. But then you hit the boulevard, and you hit every light, and every light's red, and there's an accident. And now, not only have you uh, missed what has happened, you now are 10, 15, uh, 20 minutes late to your appointment. And so, I don't know about you, but this has happened to me many times. And ultimately, what's going on here is this. You have cheated on your 3 o'clock appointment. Whether for me it's been something that I needed to do for my kids or an appointment with my wife or getting home uh, on time for supper or even another meeting, what I've ultimately done is this. I've undervalued one thing over another. I have undervalued my next appointment over some task I was working on. And today I want to apply this thought to our relationships, or more specifically, our marital status, whether we're married or we're single. Now, I have this hunch, think about this, I have this hunch that many of us have cheated on our marriage. And what I'm going to talk about later is also how we've cheated on our singleness. Now, I know you're freaking out for a moment. You're thinking, I've never cheated on my marriage I've been faithful to my spouse. And how can I even cheat on my singleness? Well, it happens when we undervalue one thing over another. Maybe you've said, uh, you know, I got to get home to meet up with my spouse. And you work late, knowing that they were waiting for you. You could have finished, but you thought, I'm going to squeeze something else in. Maybe you have a, a couple of meetings already, a couple of nights already busy, and this fourth night, you're already busy three, and you get asked to do something on a fourth night, and you say yes, knowing that 
you're taking time away maybe from your family. Maybe it's financial. You, you've spent money on your ambition, uh, on entertainment, without realizing you've cut money from your relationships, from your home budget, from some other priority you have. You've undervalued one thing over another. Maybe a completely unrelated sense. You, you said yes to the donut, but skipped the gym, right? And so you've undervalued the gym over the donut without even thinking. See, the kind of cheating I'm talking about doesn't necessarily sound so immoral. Because it's not always about an affair or something uh, negative like that or, or, or crucial like that. Sometimes we just cheat by undervaluing one thing over another. We feel torn. Because most of us, I would bet, feel called to the relationships in our lives. Whether married or single. To our spouses if we're married. To our family, friends, if we're single. So I, wanna, I want you to think about this phrase. It's very important. Think about this phrase. I want you to view your relational status as your vocational status. Your relational status as your vocational status. Now, just a little reminder here. The word vocation comes from the word vocate. In Latin, it's the word vocare, which means to call out, to be called, or to call something into being. In other words, I want you to view your relationships or consider viewing your relationships as a calling, as a calling. Here's the thing. We've been in this series called Image Bearers, and we've been looking at the first two chapters of Genesis and other parts of the scriptures that are helping us understand that we have been created, as it says in Genesis 1, in the image of God, in his image and likeness we've been created. And I want to connect that truth about who we are as human beings to our marriage or to our singleness. So to do that, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 to 12. Matthew 19, verse 1 to 12. Let's read it together. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. 
For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Hey, let's pause and pray for a moment. Father, as we're listening to this, um, wherever we might be, God, we pray that you would just speak into our hearts and uh, speak truth into our hearts. Unpack this for us by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. I love this section here. I love what is what's going on here. And when we understand what Jesus is doing here, it seems like whatever Jesus is talking about here, it's a common theme for him. We can catch this because the Pharisees have come to test him. They've, they've come to, to, um, to find out more about what he talks about. So it's very likely that they have heard either him talk about this before, or they have heard that he talks about this often. So they, they come and they force this, this discussion on marriage and divorce. They want to find out where does Jesus land on this issue of divorce? See, there's two sides of teaching here. There's a more lenient side of teaching in that culture for the Jews. There were some religious teachers and teachers of the law who would be more lenient on this. And there was some who would be more strict. And I, I love what happens here because Jesus' response shifts the conversation. Jesus' response changes the question. See, they ask about divorce, and then he forces and shifts the discussion to talk about marriage, his view of marriage. And what he does here is he highlights a view, his view of marriage. He has this view of marriage that is more like a calling, a purpose, a vocation, And Jesus in this moment gives value and honor and priority and sacredness to somebody's marital status. Look at verse four to six. He he, right away, he, he, he asks them a question. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So here he's quoting Genesis chapter one, verse 27, that God has created them in his image, male and female. He created them. Then Jesus continues and he connects Genesis 2 verse 24. And he says, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. Then Jesus adds his comment. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus reaches back into Genesis chapter one and two, this text that we've been looking at as what it means to be an image bearer or what it means to be created in the likeness of God. And he says something about marriage. Now, to be 100% honest, even in the Hebrew, in Genesis 1, to be male and female doesn't just point to marriage. It has a broader view. Uh, it has a view of, of the fact that we've been cr- either created male or female, um, you know, our identity, our gender, um, and so there's an individuality to this as well. In fact, the Hebrew would more lean towards a biological nature here than something of intrinsic meaning. And so it's just how the word is placed. So there's room to apply this individualistically. But Jesus does something amazing. He ties chapter 1, verse 27 to chapter 2, verse 24. That God has created the male and female. And then in chapter 2, He quotes it, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So this sense of a male leaving his family, and obviously a female as well would leave her family, and they would become united together. It's the, the unity that takes place here is not a contractual agreement. It's more like a covenant. They are covenanting together. They are committing to one another. And the phrase from Genesis 2, which Jesus repeats here, and we see repeated in the New Testament in a couple of other spots, is that a man and a woman become one flesh. Now, there's implication here. Obviously, it, it's a sense of being physically connected as one flesh, intimately connected as one flesh, sexually connected as one flesh. But you can expand it into the economic um, commitment of a family or of a relationship, um, the the decisions that are made. Uh, so a couple or a man and woman become one flesh in so many different ways. And the idea is that we find here that Jesus does as he ties these two verses is a couple of things. One, he is highlighting this sense of what it means to be married. Secondly, he he talks about it, and and the implication here is it's a family unit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, goes on to give this mandate, mandate to male and female to multiply, to be fruitful, to fill the earth. So what we have here is we have this sense that humanity is organized by family. So this purpose for marriage is, well, there's a bond together. But then there's also this sense of creation of family. The world is organized by family. Humans don't just replicate like, or multiply like insects. There's a sense of organization. There's a sense of meaning in the relationships. In fact, there's something beautiful about this because how can 7 billion people in the world be organized? How can 7 billion people in the world be, be uh, you know, to, how can they be grown uh, or shaped or uh, influenced as they grow older? And the family unit does this. In fact, the call to justice in the rest of scripture to take care of the orphan and the widow But think about an orphan, that an orphan, that a child would not be left alone, that they would also find a family. There's something about this. And so there's part of this purpose in marriage. Of course, not every married couple has a child, but every child has come from somebody. So we get this sense here. The world is organized by family. Whether you have produced a family is not really the main point. The point is that you've come out of a family. That the world has been organized by two people coming together and creating a family. And of course, that's so significant when you think of some of the teachings in the Old and New Testament about looking after the orphan. Because there's this call to justice in Scripture to say, look after the orphan because every person doesn't need a thousand people to be a part of. They need to be part of a family. They need to be part of a few people that care for them. There's this call in scripture towards that because humanity is organized by family. And so this purpose of marriage, you see the sense of bond uh, that creates family. Paul later takes this symbol of marriage and says, a man and wife together, loving one another, caring for, for one another. Look at this image. And he talks about the church, how the church is Christ's bride. So he takes this image even of marriage and points it towards the church. N.T. Wright says this, he says, marriage is one of the ways the 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 image of God is reflected into the world. 
So just to get the heart of this, because this is a two-week thought, Jesus ties marriage to creation, lifts up marriage with a sense of vocation, a sense of calling, a sense of purpose, which steers the discussion that the Pharisees want to have in another direction. So I would say it this way for, for, for the first thought today is your marriage is your vocation. If you're married, your marriage is your vocation. In other words, it's your calling. It's your purpose. Now, to be honest, when I got married, my marriage was important. Franco was, and still is, very important to me. You know, when I got married, it was, I knew it was lifelong, committed, loving, holy. But I also has, had whispers in my head, not literal whispers in my head, but whispers, you know, saying, oh, but, you know, but like, what kind of ministry are you going to do? And what kind of job are you going to have? And how are you going to provide for yourself? And what about your needs? And, and uh, how are you going to be, ha- how are you going to make yourself happy? What about all those things? And it's, it's crazy how humanity, how we, we function that way. We feel so called to this, to this relationship if you've gotten married. And then there's whispers in your mind that says, well, what about you? And what about this? And what about that? Jesus says your marriage is your vocation. It's your calling. And Jesus does something that really surprises everyone here as he continues this conversation. Because the disciples, they hear Jesus' words on divorce and, uh, and say, say, well, look, Moses did this. And we understand why he did this. He did this because people's hearts were hard and relationships got broken and they made room for divorce. And then Jesus um, comes down and tries to show the importance of marriage here. And the disciples say, well, man, Jesus, if this is the deal for marriage like, and divorce, this is like, how, who can get married? I don't know if I, I, I want to commit to that. That's what they're saying. It's a pretty crazy statement. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. The disciples stop and think like, wow, if this is forever, maybe... I, Maybe I should just wait a minute. If this is the calling, if this is the vocation, if this is the purpose. And Jesus doesn't actually tell us anymore here. He doesn't tell the disciples, guys, get married. Go for it. It's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. And he he lifts up marriage in verses 4 to 6. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But what does he tell the disciples? He says, if you want, you can stay single. That's what he says. Look, he says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, and I'll explain what that is, who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who chose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, the one who can't accept this shouldn't accept this. Jesus actually says, there's another option here. The option is not to look at your marriage in a lower fashion. The option is not to look at marriage not as a vocation. Jesus doesn't touch that at all. He's like, marriage is a vocation. It's a purpose. It's a calling. It's beautiful. But if you don't want to see it that way, or you can't see it that way, or maybe for this season, or for, then he says, here's another option. He actually says, you can stay single. And he, he talks about eunuchs. Eunuchs in that time were... Basically, guys who had their parts taken out. That's basically what it was. And he, and he says that there is eunuchs in two specific ways that come about. Some are born that way. In other, in other words, there are boys born without 
male parts. And some are made that way. Either as slaves, they were what was known as castrated, and they were, their parts were removed. So Jesus says some were born that way, some were made that way. The third option is shocking. And he uses it more metaphorical. He says some choose to be eunuchs. Now, he's not saying that some choose to have their parts removed. What he's saying is, he's not talking about parts. He says, he's basically saying some choose to live like eunuchs. Some choose to live in such a way where they will not offer their body sexually to another. And they will choose to remain single. Now this was crazy because a Jew would never even consider singleness as a valuable option in the time. A Jew would think who would choose to be single. In fact, there's no word in the Hebrew language for the word bachelor. The show would not exist in that time period. And so there's no word to actually describe what it means to be a bachelor because it rarely, rarely ever existed. And if it did exist, it did, but it wasn't a common thing or something that people necessarily looked towards. So there was no vision for a healthy life as a single person for a Jew. Jewish history, culture, Old, te- old, teaching, um, old Testament teaching provided no real place for an intentional single person. See, because in a Jewish mindset, in a biblical, Old Testament biblical mindset, your, your faith, your life, your family was tied to your nation, to Israel. It was very ethnic. So how did the Jewish people grow? They didn't grow by registration. They didn't grow by, you know, sign up to be a Jew. They grew by procreation. That's how they grew. It was, a, it was an ethnic thing. You know, how, how do you grow other Italians? You make Italians naturally, or Greeks, or Asians, or whatever, right? You can't have them register to be an ethnic group. But, and so the Jews, that was tied to their faith, their nation, and their family name was part of that. And, and, and so what it meant to be God's people was tied to this idea also that we're going to grow as God's people, but we're only really growing as procreation. There was very few people that decided to be Jews. It happened, but it was very rare. And so, but Jesus came fulfilling Israel's vocation because God always wanted Israel to be for the nations and the gospel to be for the nations. So family was still important, but now with Christ, family or procreation wasn't necessary to grow the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? You, You didn't have to have kids to grow God's family. People could choose through Christ, to be part of God's family. And Paul goes through that in Romans 9 to 12, and we read it in Galatians. It's beautiful openness that anybody who comes to Christ becomes part of God's family. Where, so maybe think about it this way. Where Israel once grew by procreation, the church now grows by proclamation. Does that make sense? So the nations can be part of God's kingdom. The nations are welcome, which means God's kingdom is an ethnic which also means that Jesus opened up something beautiful for the vocation of singleness. Once viewed as maybe second best, once viewed as something, because think about the word eunuch in that culture. Jesus uses it three times in this text. And so he's not, Jesus is not calling singles anything bad, but the culture would view eunuchs in a certain way. And Jesus is saying, I value those eunuchs. Whether it's born or physical, and then some who have chosen to be like a eunuch. 
And amazingly, he adds, for the sake of my kingdom. You know how much value that added to this metaphor? So singleness was no longer just the absence of a spouse, but singleness, by God's grace and in in Jesus' view, became a vocational status. The possibility to live a called, purposeful life as a single. Paul highlights this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he highlights singleness as 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 a great option to serve God. Because as we're going to look at next week, there's divided interests when you're married. Jesus says some chose singleness for the sake of God's kingdom. So you think of someone like John the Baptist who was single for the sake of serving God. Jesus says in God's kingdom, in Mark chapter 12, verse 25, he says in God's kingdom one day, neither people will be given in marriage or married. That's pretty crazy. Think about that. Meaning in the fullness of God's new creation in heaven. So that makes me realize that as a married person, I'm, I'm not going to be as ill-prepared for eternity. So singles have way more ahead of me on that. Um, but let me just say something here. See, this is the beautiful thing of what Jesus does here and what we see of what it means to be created in God's image, that our relational status is our vocation. Some singles have been told that they're only waiting for marriage. Or their only purpose is one day to be married. Or why aren't you married yet? Or if your marriage has failed or broken, when will you marry again? Or you've been widowed early in life, why not? And so singles often have been told this. And it's not the words of Jesus at all. There's a, there can be purpose and vocation And some singles have been told, you know what, you got so much time on your hands, I think you should do a whole lot extra for everybody else, almost abusing their time. And I want to say, your singleness, if you're single, and our message to singles is, your singleness is part of what it means to bear God's image. That... Getting married isn't, isn't a step towards now I'm fully in God's image. No. Now, now, we know singleness can be a choice. Singleness can be a sense of calling for life. Singleness can be a season where people genuinely do say, I would like to get married, but right now I am single. Singleness can be a situation where that it falls upon you. You were married and now you're not. So there's a variety of different ways that people are single. But I think what's, po- what's here and what Jesus is getting at is your singleness is your vocation at the moment, whether it's forever or for a season. And even in marriage, our vocation as married people is forever committed to. But sometimes we know that something has happened. Either someone has been widowed or a, a marriage has broken down. But the, I would reverse it. So for married couples, it's like, yes, I'm getting married for life. But we know that Sometimes something takes place and someone finds themselves a single. But for singles, we might say it can be forever and it can be seasonal, but it's a vocation. It's purposeful. And so your marriage, if you're married, it's your vocation. If you're single, whether it's now or for a longer term, it's a vocation. So how do we start? Like, how do we just kind of start this? And, and, and I'm going to just say a couple of things. And then just say, please come back next week because we're going to unpack this a little further. But here here are just a few words for us. The first word is this. Love your vocation. 
Whatever vocation you, ha- you are in in the moment, married or single, love your vocation. Jesus gives it value. As being image bearers of God, there is value in your vocation. Love your vocation. The next thing I'd like to say, and this just briefly, is live your vocation. Don't live someone else's vocation. Don't hope to live someone else's vocation or try to live someone else's vocation. Pete Schizero, in a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader, he says, if you're married, it's no longer an option for you to live as if you were single. So if you're married, stop trying to live a single vocation. But I love what he says here as well. He says to singles, don't live like you're waiting. Live the most fulfilled, joyful life you, you can right now whether it's seasonal or longer term. The point is this, whatever vocation you find yourselves in, live your vocation. And that's a message the church should also give to the world so they can understand God's heart for them. So live your vocation. And the last thought, and we're going to unpack this further next week even more, is invest in your vocation. Invest in your vocation. Grow and nurture, if you're married, your marriage vocation, your marital relationship. But even as a single person, invest in your vocation. Invest in this season or this life and say, God, what do you have in store for me? How can I invest in this? And next week we're going to talk more about what that means relationally and within God's purposes and a whole bunch of other ways. But just, I want to just get this thought so you're thinking about it this week. Am I investing in my vocation? Uh, Pete Schizero, Schizero says this a little bit. He, he talked about him, him and his wife. They had a struggle uh, in their marriage several years ago, 20 years ago. And it led him to write this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and, and a bunch of other books as well. It's really, really great material. But he came to a crossroads because he was cheating on his vocation. And it hurt his marriage and their relationships. He wasn't cheating on his wife she wasn't cheating on him. It wasn't that kind of cheating, but you know what I mean. He was cheating. And he, he says, so success is no longer just, I'm going to achieve this great thing, work, church, ministry, dream, but I'm going to nurture this passionate marriage because he decided, I'm going to invest in this vocation. And as a single person, to identify yourself and say, what is my vocation now? And say, I'm not just going to pursue success this, 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 and this way, but I'm going to invest in what that means for me as a single person in God's purposes. So love your vocation, live your vocation, invest in your vocation. And I'm so excited to unpack how we can do that more next week. But let me close with this last thought. I'm going to be honest with you. I've cheated on my vocation. I've cheated in a sense. It's like I've cheated on my marriage. Never cheated on Franca that way, but I've cheated on my marriage. I've cheated on my vocation. I've cheated through time, through resources, through purchases, through decisions, through ministry and work and ambition. There's been moments in our marriage and still moments that will creep up and we're working through is like to say, you know what, if I'm 100% honest with me, I've cheated on that vocation. And it's, it's a horrible thing to consider. 
But it's true. And I even have a hard time like saying this and then like looking over to Frank and knowing this. And because there's, it's just reality that I've cheated in those ways. I've, I've, I've undervalued one thing, this calling, this vocation, and overvalued something else. And I haven't only done it to Frank, I've done it to my kids. And maybe I've done it in other ways. And I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how you've worked this out, but I want to leave you to think about this this week. I want to, you to invite God into this process for the week as we come back next week and talk about this. Because see, cheating, like I said, is not necessarily an immoral act. We know it can be, but the kind of cheating I'm talking about is valuing one thing over another. And so for the week, I want you to ask this question. Lord, regardless of what your vocation is, married or single, have I cheated on my vocation? Just ask the Lord that question and think about it this week and journal it if you have to or talk it out. Have I cheated on my vocation? And if you come up to the conclusion, yes, I have, ask really direct questions. How have I cheated on that vocation? How have I cheated on my singleness? How have I cheated on my marriage? And I'll, I'll highlight some of the ways we do that next week. But, but again, how has that happened? How much have I done that? With what have I done that? And as we start to ask those questions, then we're going to continue. And, and, and I, I hope we can bring some purpose and healing and hope to what that looks like moving forward. Why don't we stand and pray? Maybe some of you, even like me, just need a moment to acknowledge that and to invite God um, to really make you and make myself aware of how this takes place in your life and my life. Father, we're so grateful for how your love and design surprises us. How Jesus in this um, intense conversation is highlighted for us a part of what it means to be created in your image and your likeness. whether it's in our marriage or our singleness. Thank you how your love has been demonstrated even in this to bring value and purpose and attention to this calling. So we invite you, Lord, as we reflect on this this week. May we begin to know more deeply our vocation. Whether it's long-term faithfulness like marriage, whether it's singleness that is seasonal or for a longer period of time, God, we invite you to help us know and then to love the vocation we're in, to live that vocation, to invest in it. Help us by your spirit to discern ways to do that, God. And show us where we've been cheating. We just come openly and bear before you in a mode of confession Lord, show us that because we long to be aware because we know you have so much more in store for us. 
when there's an overflow of living and loving and investing in our vocation than how some of us have been doing it up until now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.